Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hi, good morning and welcome to the show. I'm Jason Hewlett sitting in for Jeff Andreas this morning and for the rest of the week. Do you struggle with debt and feel you have no way to get out of it? In the past, one solution was to consolidate into one easy-to-handle payment, but it's getting harder and harder to do that. We'll talk to an associate editor with LoisRates.com to find out why later in the show. Report from Economist states the BC housing market is on the upswing, but locally it didn't really seem to slow down all that much. We'll get a local realtor to explain during the second half hour. What's going on in the world of local business, especially heading into the busy holiday season? Kamloops Chamber of Commerce President Josh Knack joins me in about 15 minutes to provide an update. But first, joining me for a post-mortem on yesterday's city council meeting is our mayor and savior, Ken Christian. Great to talk to you again this morning, Ken. Great to be here, Jason. Don't know about the savior, but I am the mayor. <laughs> it just sounded like it just rolled off the tongue nicely, right? So I figured, why the heck not? So it sounds like it was a pretty busy meeting yesterday, Ken. Lots of stuff going on. You guys had meetings during the day, too, from what I understand, right? Yeah, we started at 8.30 yesterday morning and uh, finished up about 3.30 yesterday afternoon, so it was a long day. That's a long day. And then, yeah. of course, your day doesn't just stop there, right? <laughs> There's more to go on after all that. Uh, let's start with the whole parking issue, though, uh, Ken. It was recommended, of course, by city staff that uh, the park aids that the city took over um, pay a fee on Saturdays, but you've decided to defer that decision until July, am I correct? Or at least voting on it? Yeah, and, and uh, you know, that was uh, part of our service agreement review, same uh, uh, situation that uh, the uh, St. Andrews on the Square arose from, that uh, we reviewed all of our service agreements, and in the case of the parkades, uh, we felt that uh, those were city assets that we should probably run, so we've mm -hmm. uh, taken those over, and uh, in uh, part and parcel of that, uh, we have to do some improvements in those parkades, change the way that they're operated, so uh, staff had a recommendation that uh, we uh, start charging for uh, parking in those on Saturdays, and uh, that that would uh, equate to about sixty to $70,000. Uh, council felt that because there is a, a downtown parking study that's mm -hmm. going to be out probably in six months that they would uh, prefer to wait until that study's out so that they can uh, look at parking rates uh, throughout the system, both our surface lots, our parkades and our street parking and make adjustments at one time. So uh, what was sort of the feedback from the community in regards to that? I know like uh, in downtown you pay on off-road off sites already, right, to park on a Saturday. Was there any outcry from the public about having to pay in these parkades as well or potentially having to pay in these parkades? You know, uh, there wasn't uh, much about this particular issue because it's really the, the smaller part, the, the one day and, and the very limited locations. But generally what we hear from people is that they don't want to pay for parking, nope. but they want more of it. And <laughs> uh, so that is an incongruous concept. And so uh, what we have to do is uh, you know, look at uh, valuing parking and, and uh, the whole purpose of parking is not to generate money for City Hall as a lot of people think. It's really to get people to move along so that they will use a spot, do their business and then leave yeah. uh, because they're paying for it and they value it. So, uh, you know, the notion of having free parking downtown is, is maybe nice, but uh, quite quickly you would see employees 
fill all of those spots and you'd have no room for customers. So, you know, I think that uh, we have to be reasonable. And if you look at experiences in other lake-sized cities, uh, Kamloops has very low parking rates and, and very limited parking charges. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, it's a good deal to park in, in Kamloops, uh, even at the current rates. So I, I think that uh, over time, the study will uh, give a, a little bit more uh, depth to uh, that issue and, and give us uh, certainly some options in terms of charges and zones and those kinds of things. And council will make a decision at that time about an overall parking strategy for downtown Kamloops. Now, I understand that the council is kind of unanimous in its decision to do this, but you were the, the one vote that didn't want to wait till July. Is that correct? Yeah, and I, I was kind of a loner out there. You were. <laughs> <laughs> 881, uh, and really my vote doesn't matter because it's council's decision and, and council decided to uh, defer it, and so uh, that's what will happen. Why did you sort of want to go now? with doing this? Well, you know, on a personal uh, note, I uh, believe that we have to make some changes to those buildings, and if you don't charge the users of the parkade uh, to make those changes, then you're going to charge the general tax-paying public. So there may be people in Brocklehurst and Westside that never park downtown are going to be paying for this. That'd be me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so will there be any extra cost to taxpayers between now and July then? Can, well, we're, we're going to do the work, yeah. uh, and that will come out of our uh, you know, general revenue fund. We have to uh, change it. It's going to be kind of a gated-style parking right. down there now. Okay. Um, now, there's sort of policing costs, a uh, big discussion in regards to that. Yes, so they're going to go up, from what I understand, $928,000 next year. Yes. What's going on there, Ken? What's the reasoning for this rising cost? Well, you know, we have uh, uh, budgeted 136 officers. We operate uh, a little less than that. And uh, so we're trying to move our actual funded number uh, up closer to where the complement would be. So we're moving from 130 officers fully funded to 133. And uh, that is uh, going to be expensive. Uh, police officers, uh, we generally charge them out at about $200,000 a year. And, and don't get me wrong, they don't get paid that no. amount. But uh, that, in terms of the actuarial assessment of what an officer costs, is what we budget for. So, uh, you know, we're looking at that. Uh, we have to make some uh, changes in the local detachment, uh, particularly in the area of our forensics uh, uh, department there. And, uh, you know, we have the uh, differences in terms of uh, policing now. The uh, fact that we have a lot more calls that are more mental health and mm -hmm. social services in nature, and uh, so we need to look at that. So, uh, all in all, uh, Camelope's no different than uh, Kelowna or Prince George is uh, looking at increasing costs for policing. The other part uh, that we haven't fully uh, understood yet is the impact of Surrey going to a municipal police department. So you will recall the Green Timbers building, which is the RCM police headquarters for the E division, is located in Surrey. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, it's uh, an expensive building that we're supposed to be paying uh, part of operating. And, and now how that that those costs are going to be del delved out to the rest of the province. So it's the biggest detachment in BC that's now moving to a municipal uh, police force. So the impact that that will have on the rest of the system, we don't fully understand yet. And uh, we anticipate some additional costs from that. I understand you have some frustration in regards to that, us having to kind of front this bill. <laughs> 
have certainly frustrations related to the green timbers piece, but also yesterday there was a lot of talk about uh, some of the uh, other issues related to policing costs. And in Kamloops, you will remember, is paying 90% of the policing costs here because of the size of the community. And uh, the, it's the same as uh, Salmon Arm and Vernon and Kelowna and West Kelowna and Penticton. Uh, but places that are smaller, uh, so Chase and Barrier and, and Ashcroft, uh, don't pay for their policing. And uh, so what happens, unfortunately, is because of a shortage of officers in those detachments, and in particular the Tecumseh Dish Equipment Detachment, uh, we wind up sort of spilling out and providing police services, particularly in the event of emergencies, mm -hmm. to those detachments. And those services are being paid for by the taxpayers in Kamloops. And I feel that that's patently unfair. And I have uh, made representation to the Solicitor General, uh, along with other mayors, that uh, we want to see more resources. If you look at the Tecumseh detachment, uh, they are policing Sun Rivers. Uh, they're policing Sun Peaks, Tobiano, Savannah, and all of those places have had considerable growth, while at the same time there hasn't been any growth within the detachment. So that means that uh, Kamloops officers are attending uh, when required and assisting that detachment uh, in a way that, you know, we're, we're charitable, we're good neighbors, yeah. but, but we can't be paying for that on the backs of the Kamloops taxpayer. No, and as this comes up once in a while, it seems like every 10 years or so, Ken, have we ever thought of moving to municipal force, say, like what Surrey's doing? Uh, about uh, 2015, I looked into that as a councillor at the time, and generally the break point was around a quarter million people before that made much sense. And mm -hmm. uh, part of it isn't around uh, the issues of the complexity of policing. Uh, well, you could probably cover the watches with a, a municipal police de uh, department. You really can't do the specialized uh, kinds of investigation that is now required in modern day policing. So uh, the general uh, investigation services, the anti-gang task yeah. force, missing persons, those kinds of things are very labor intensive kinds of police activities and uh, very specialized. And so you find if you're a smaller population, there's an economy of scale of sharing those kinds of services around the Southeast division. Well, I guess too, you got to think jurisdictional, right? Different not all detachments get along. So, you know, there's always good communication between a municipal force and the RCMP and vice versa and different municipal forces. So if you have crimes happening elsewhere, you might not hear of a person coming to Kamloops. There's lots to think about in that regard. And, and, you know, if, and if you look at it, you know, you've got uh, Abbotsford, you've got Vancouver, Victoria, a really large place. The only small one that I'm aware of is Nelson, actually. But, uh, you know, and you look across Western Canada, Edmonton, Calgary, those places are policed from a municipal perspective, whereas the RCMP cover all of the rest of the areas. And so uh, that's the model that we have here in BC. And I, I think one of the things we're really asking of the police, and, and uh, that is to become more responsive to the local governments that are paying the freight in terms of uh, the policing costs. And certainly in the case of the relationship that we have with Superintendent Leckie here uh, in Kamloops, it, it's certainly working well that way. And uh, we have a, a great uh, relationship and, and good uh, conduits between mm -hmm. our administration and the police and the kind of policing we want uh, to, for our citizens that we are paying for. Well, and it's an important topic, given crime in the city. Um, Ken, I, I thank you so much for joining me once again. And for always my pleasure. It's always a lot of fun, Ken. That, of course, was Council Mayor Ken Christian. I'm Jason Hewlett, and I've got the President of the Council's Chamber of Commerce joining me after this. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local News Now.
the voice of your community. Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Jason Hewlett here sitting in for Jeff this morning and for the rest of the week. Thank you for joining me. So council has decided to defer any decision on Saturday parking rates in downtown parkades until July. But that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. What kind of impact could this eventually have on downtown businesses, if any? I know people never like to discuss paying more for parking. Here to speculate on this and other business-related matters is one of my favorite guests, Calum's Chamber of Commerce President Josh Knack. Welcome back to the show, Josh. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's always great to have you on, my friend. So... We already pay for parking on off-street lots and on the street and everything like that, but this was almost seemed like the last bastion of free parking was the parkade. We're going to get it till at least July. What, what are your thoughts about maybe having to pay these rates come up, and what kind of impact do you think that could have on businesses if it happens? I mean, it probably will happen. There's a good chance of it. Yeah. So I guess, first of all, the fact that we're talking about parking issues downtown is, is a great thing, in my opinion, because it means that, that people are coming downtown, people are shopping downtown, they're coming downtown on Saturdays, on Sundays, evenings. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's a great thing. I think that it's, uh, it, it's, I know you just had a politician in here and I'm going to try not to sound too political, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, it, there, there's, there's something to be said on both sides because the, uh, the two complaints that we hear are, uh, I have to pay to park downtown. And then the other complaint is there's no parking downtown. That's right. And the reality is we can't, we can't necessarily have one without the other. I think Kamloops has a very affordable, <laughs> I mean, if you can, I mean, the cities that I'm from Edmonton, Calgary, I mean, if you've been to Vancouver, Ed, the, oh, yes. uh, parking here is very affordable. Um, but obviously it's, it's not the same as being downtown Calgary, but, uh, but it's affordable, and and yet there's certainly issues with people saying, you know, how do we how do we encourage people to find alternate ways to get downtown because because we have a shortage of parking. So I think, I think that there's a balance, and uh, and deferring the decision is probably a smart political move. I, I think so too, um, and I mean, and it's it's one that's not going to go away. I, like it's come up so many times when I was at the paper, it was always a topic would come up every year, two years, kind of things like that. But I know one conversation is we need to, they want, there's a desire to get more people to go downtown. It mm-hmm. is happening. Do you think if this does happen? having to pay in a parkade, it could deter people from doing it? Or do you think people will still come down and just complain? I mean, I, I can't speak for everybody, but at the rates that, at the rates that parking is these days, I, I don't, I don't think it's going to deter anybody. I mean, when I'm coming downtown, it's because there's something that I want down there. Yeah. But the, the other thing that I know, and, and this may tie in somewhat to the, to the changes, I know that the city is right now working on a downtown parking strategy. Um, the chamber has been involved in that and, and other stakeholders have been involved in that in looking at what is the actual supply? What are we projecting demand at? And, and then what can be done to sort of address that. And, and I think that there's, and I know that that's going on as recently as two, three weeks ago. And, mm-hmm. and I think there's probably some, some reason for, for the pushback to July as well. But I think if people want to come downtown, they're, they're going to find a, find a way to do it. Yeah. I mean, as we do, we live in Brock. We're still, mm-hmm. if, if we want to go eat at Pete's Pasta, exactly. we'll pay. Exactly. You just do it, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so Black Friday. Or visit the local chamber office. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Park, <laughs> pay, park, come say hello. Right. <laughs> Black Friday is just a couple days away. Cyber Monday is right behind. That seems like we get new holidays all the time based around <laughs> the economy, right? Yeah. Um, how big a deal are these days in Canada? I know it's a big thing in the States because it ties into their Thanksgiving, et cetera, and kicks off official Christmas season. But is it a big deal in Canada or even Kamloops? Well, it sure seems to be. I just walked into Best Buy on the weekend and it wasn't even thinking about anything. And, and here we have a Black Friday sale that's that's already, you know, already started this last weekend. So, I mean, I think it's 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 a, it's a hype, right? Yep. And, and it gets people out there and, and there's the perception that if I don't buy it right now, I'm going to end up paying more. 
and uh, and I think retailers are, are certainly using that, and 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 maybe there's some advantage to consumers on that. But it is interesting how much of it has shifted from the U.S. up to Canada. I mean, it's it's it, it, the the Friday and the Monday are are clearly around U.S. Uh, around U.S. Thanksgiving, and I have been down there actually for American Thanksgiving, and boy, I'll tell you, you don't want to be anywhere close to a Walmart on that Friday. It's terrifying. Well, it's terrifying to go in on a regular day. So I couldn't is, even imagine <laughs> trying to go in there on like a, a day like a Black Friday. I avoided it all through the Christmas season. Yeah. Um, but we've got like I have someone coming on later in the show to talk about debt and, mm-hmm. and how hard it is to kind of get rid of your debt and consolidate your loans on debt. But all this does to me is drive up debt. Like you're just you're kind of playing on people's fears that oh I'm going to pay more later or I'm not going to keep up with the latest trends unless I buy this. How I mean I get I get it. It's good for business, but how is it for people and the pocketbook? Yeah, I mean that's 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 a very interesting question, and and there's no there's no question that consumer debt is is a is a concern, and I think it's, you know, I, one thing that I do know, being a former banker, is I I know that uh, that laws around consumer debt and regulations around what can be provided to consumers in Canada are a lot more conservative mm-hmm. than than what they are in the states, and I think that that the that the economic crises that we've hit over the last little while that has we have seen that because yeah. we've had much less financial pressure on the consumer simply because I think we have better policy, bigger, better regulations, just better lending practices. But, uh, but no, I mean, consumerism is an, is a very interesting, interesting issue. And it's one that seems to, to grow, you know, through the generations. I know, uh, um, my, my mindset on, on material things is very different than what my parents was, for instance. Yep. And, and I think my kids is on, uh, is different than, than mine as well. And something we need to ensure that, that people understand the impacts of the decisions they're making today. Well, then, and we chatted a bit about this before you came on, like the whole bit of the online shopping too, makes it even just that much easier to or, to buy something. And if you go into something like Amazon, where it's like, well, if I buy this, but if I spend 50 bucks, I get free shipping. You know what I mean? So it almost encourages you to buy more. And when you don't have to actually take a wallet out of your pocket, right? I, I, the, the, the pinnacle of this that I saw was a Disney World where you just get a bracelet and the bracelet is attached to your credit card and they, oh just, they just scan the bracelet. <laughs> it's like it's free. It's like it never even happens. You just zip and, and you then go you get the, the bill room. at the end. That's right. You're like, holy crap, I spent eight grand at <laughs> Disneyland. <laughs> exactly. Right? When I didn't need to do that. Yes. How's that? I know there's a whole, always a shop local. And a big mm-hmm. push. We want people to shop local. We want them, to, you know, to pay to park, to come downtown, to shop at the That's various right. stores. How? How? Like, but there's also this online component. Like, are you an online shopper? Uh, not very much. No, not very much. I, I do like to see what I see. What, see what I'm buying. I like to try it on. And uh, or or yeah, I mean, thinking of clothing or or I mean, really anything. I, I personally, I like to see what see mm-hmm. what see what I'm getting. And and also for me, and uh, there's a relationship that you develop. So uh, there's there's a retailer downtown that I buy almost all any clothing that I need. I buy from there yeah. because uh, there was one period of time where I needed a suit in 24 hours, and he made sure that happened. Yeah. I, I can't get that through Amazon. That's for sure. No, you can't. And there, it, we talked a bit about this too before we wrap it up here. That there's a there's a shift to where we wanted just the convenience. Now we want that face to face contact. We almost have missed it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's exactly the momentum shifted to everything being automated, but now people are missing that face-to-face contact. And, and hopefully that, that translates, again, back to your shop local. That's, uh, that's, that's what we want to see as a chamber, that's for sure. Awesome, Josh. Thanks so much for coming back on. Thanks for having me. That was Calum's Chamber of Commerce President, Josh Knack. I'm Jason Hewlett. We're back with an update on the local and provincial real estate market after this. opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. 
Welcome back. Jason Hewlett sitting in for Jeff Andreas today. The BC real estate market was in a decline for most of 2018, but a report from Central One Credit Union is painting a much rosier picture moving forward. Population growth and a decline in housing prices are driving the market up. Is this true? What does it mean for buyers and sellers in Kamloops? Here to discuss is my favorite realtor, Brad Watson. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Jason. Thanks so much for coming on, man. Uh, my pleasure. Always like talking real estate, and it seems to be a subject that never really goes away. And if it does, it's like for a month or two, and then there's much conversation about it. In right? my world, it never goes away. True. So True. it is to that point that, uh, yeah, real estate, whether it's a good or a bad market, everybody seems to always be talking about it and always wants to know what's happening next. Well, because you, like, you see it around town. Like there's always, you know, places popping up for sale. It's not like there's a, ever a dry period where nothing is selling. People are moving, right? It, like, well, people always move. If, if the economy's down, people are moving to get out to potentially go find new jobs elsewhere. Uh, if economy is up, people are looking to move into town to pick up those jobs, everything that's kind of growing and shaking in the community kind of thing. So. Interesting. So one thing this report is saying is that housing prices have returned to normal levels following a year of policy-induced declines. What does that mean? Policy-induced would be that the government does their best to alter investment and alter kind of interest rates and try to make it so that that price, that dollar slows down. Mm -hmm. 2018, they really kind of hit that point where the market was kind of very much out of control through 16, 17 in Vancouver for sure, yeah. where those properties were selling for one point craziness. And that's not like a, a nice big home. And that's that just would a be a house, house. That would be a house on the North Shore here in Kamloops. Yeah. was going for one point. 1.2 because it potentially had that development possibility it could be torn down and made into a, a 14 story apartment something crazy like mm -hmm. that so and even 14s low because i've seen in, Van in richmond and stuff like that in vancouver they were building blocks of these apartment buildings that are still going up that they build a uh, two or three floors of commercial uh, sort of uh, pools and stuff like that for the residents, and then they build four towers up above it. That's right. So crazy big developments that are still going on in Vancouver, but through 2018, it definitely slowed down. Okay. We saw price corrections, we saw stuff slow down, and Vancouver definitely took a hit. Did that trend to us here? Well, that's what I wanted to ask. Absolutely, and I know that's what you wanted to ask, because <laughs> the main thing we want to worry about is what's going on in Kamloops. That's right. Because we can look at the Vancouver markets, we can look at Victoria, we can even look at Kelowna, and kind of go, oh no, the market's down. But Kamloops never changed. The only well, thing that I really thought. happened in Kamloops is we got a few more listings and the buyers took a little more time to make their decisions. So through 2016, 2017, and through part of 2018, even into the summer of 2018, and then even through our summer here in 19, if a property was the right price, if it was a, a you know something that everybody wanted, it was gone in a couple of hours or a couple of days. Which that's astronomically quick, isn't it? Like Very quick. The, the process of buying and selling real estate is not really meant to be a quick decision, jump at it, throw all your money at this one thing in hopes that it works. There's a due diligence process. You go through, you write your offer, you go through and you make sure you get, you're happy with the <laughs> subjects. You make sure the property is what you want and then you remove the subjects and you buy it. That process during a hot seller's market is sped up for the buyer. Well, and that's something, because I remember like buying a home in 2008, right before the big crash. Yep. It took months. Like we spent months, look, like looked at a hundred houses. Easily. Even, even when we were selling ours, like we took time to do over different offers. People made offers, we turned it down because it wasn't what we wanted, right? And then this last summer, of course, you and I worked together to sell a couple properties I had to sell. And when it happened, it was within like 48 hours. It was over. 
it's very quick. Most of the time, most of the, the offers come in, the buyers are pre-qualified. Buyers have kind of had that ability to go out and do a little more homework prior to writing their offer. Yeah. It used to be that you wrote your offer and then you did your homework. Now buyers are getting pre-qualified and a lot of us as agents want to see that buyer be pre-qualified. Yeah. We want to see that if I have a listing and I'm representing the seller, I want that buyer to come in with another buying agent to be pre-qualified and virtually hand me a letter that says, yes, they're qualified to purchase this property because there's nothing worse than losing a transaction for my seller if the buyer was never qualified to purchase the property. Well, there's so much riding on that, right? Everything and, rides on that. Exactly. And the big thing is, is the government went and made a ton of changes to the mortgage rules, the stress test that was all created to make sure that the buyers are qualified for that. So we've kind of hit a few little curves in how the whole process works, but it is to that point that buyers are a little more savvy now. They do their homework and they kind of know what they're looking for prior to really going out and looking. The internet is a wonderful and a horrible thing all at the same time. <laughs> Isn't that the truth for everything? Absolutely. For everything. Yeah. So you, you're mentioning that that's some of those policy-induced methods in order to slow down the market in Vancouver. Um, I Which always trickles down to us here. It always does. Are we seeing a little bit of that right now? Like, Well, definitely we're seeing more listings come on the market mm -hmm. and things are taking a little bit longer to sell. Um, Prime example, townhouse, North Shore, mm -hmm. uh, only 10 years old. Um, the last four or five that sold, sold in days. Okay. The one that I just listed took three weeks to sell. Okay. So all of a sudden, we've gone 10 times longer than what it was supposed to be to sell that house, which you would expect, right? Under 400000 you would expect it to move quite quickly but it did take a little bit longer. We had a few more buyers go through. They seemed to be a little pickier because there was a few more properties on the market okay. at the time. The worst thing is, is a buyer gets panicky when there's nothing to look at. So they're gonna snap up whatever they can exactly. find that fits within what they want. The moment we get a little bit of a leveled off market where it's a buyers and sellers, almost an even keeled market, it is to that point that the buyers get a little more time to look and the sellers have to be a little more patient. Our sellers are spoiled in Kamloops right now. <laughs> they expect to kind of have an offer within the first week or so because that's what's been happening. But our market has changed. Things have slowed down a little bit, but there still is that panic. There still is that point where the right property hits the market. It can still, it can still, still sell. God, my tongue's getting... That's all right. <laughs> it still can sell within days, but it's not going to be days for everything right now. I know that uh, the Central One report stated that the median home price in 2019 is 522, 522,000. And that would be for the province? It'd be for the province. How yes. is that? Because we've talked a bit about what houses are going for in Canlips. Is that sort of jiving with the numbers you're seeing here? Or we, well, ours is a little bit cheaper. If we look at our median price for um, October of 2019, because I always have to go a month back, we yep. don't have the official stats for November yet, 515 is our median price here in Canlips. 515. Yeah. Where a year ago it was 487. That's quite a jump. So exactly. But it does show that our prices have swung up, but the overall units are even up as well. So 2018 was definitely a little bit of a slower period. Okay. We saw a few less properties move. And this is just looking at the month of October of 2018 and 2019. 233 homes sold in the council region in that month in 2018 and 273 in 2019. Okay. So we saw 40 more properties move. Is that a good? Is that like a good increase? You know what? Is it's a, a good increase because it's to that point that when our overall 
listings haven't changed, that does mean that more stuff is still moving again. So 2018 was a little bit slower in moving, same number of listings hitting the market in 2019 and more sold. So our market did kind of swing up in 2019 from 2018. Okay. Which is a good thing. It's from, always a good thing. <laughs> you know what? In a up market or a down market, properties are still moving. It's just to that point how fast they move. I know one thing, there's, there's a prediction here that housing prices are still at a point where a lot of households can't afford to buy and there's been kind of this moving towards renting. Do you find that an accurate statement? Uh, I would agree to an extent. Uh, a lot of first timers, they don't want to get into those 119, 190,000, sorry, not 119, there's not much of 119 <laughs> anymore, but they don't want to get into the $200,000 apartments. They don't want to get into those under $300,000 townhomes that will need thirty dollars to $50,000 worth of yeah. work. So they're kind of on that point where they're looking to get the next step up. The property ladder is something that most people have to climb. Well, you do. You've got to start with I one thing. I started with a $90,000 half duplex. Yeah. Uh, and then have graduated up and moved up from there. But it is to that point that a lot of people and a lot of buyers, the first timers are kind of looking to pass that step. They want to move up one step, go into the four fifty dollars to $500,000 properties. And not everybody can be approved for a $500,000 mortgage. No. So it is to that point that our, our economy and our Kamloops region is kind of blessed that we have enough properties under the 400,000 that we still can have a little bit of a lower plateau of entry. Well, no, and that was one of the things I was going to bring up. Like, what are options for the, the, the new home buyer here? Like, you know, like you say, if they don't want to buy like the $120,000 or $190,000 condo, what else do you get? Like, well, we are getting into that range where the condos, the 191s are the 30, 40 year old buildings. Mm -hmm that are a great rental property because they're close to TRU or something to that effect. We are seeing a lot of new build apartments that range anywhere from a one bedroom in the low 300s yep. to a three bedroom that can be half a million dollars in an apartment building. That's crazy. <laughs> I know, it, it, and I don't really have any words for that. I do kind of wrap my head around it going, going saying an apartment, a three bedroom apartment for $479,000. That which... Our, we bought our house for three fifty, right? Like it just doesn't. I makes bought my no four bedroom duplex for ninety three thousand yeah. dollars. Sure, that was twenty five years ago. But you but did I'm it. Just saying, I did but it. You did it. Right? So it is to that point that our our economy and I mean prices have gone up, wages have gone up. We are at that point that people can enter into the market. It's just we need more of those properties out there so we can get those people entering into the market. And we are kind of seeing that a bit. I know there's some developments like on, on Tronk Hill and near Spirit Square where they're trying to go for more lower income housing, but they're newer buildings and Absolutely. nicer and affordable, right? There's the one where, um, I forget, right on the co corner of Tronk Hill and Clapperton. Well, that's where the Bright Eye... The Bright Eye Brewery, Brewery. absolutely yeah. is there. Um, but it is micro-suites. So the smallest one in there is 390, 000, 390 square feet. Crazy. So no bedroom, pretty much a washroom, a kitchen, and your living space. Yeah. Um, and then they graduate up from there, and I think the biggest one in there is maybe 800 square feet. But they did start at a two, two and a bit price point, yeah. which did allow that point to entry. So we need those entry point properties to get the property ladder climbing. Yeah. So do we build more of those? It's hard to say. The problem is the builders can't make the money if they're building a, a $20 million apartment and they can only get 200000 a door. Yeah. They virtually can't cover their costs. So we do struggle with how do we make it that things stay affordable, 
but we do our best to build more lower income properties. And that's going to be a battle that I don't think we're going to be able to solve. <laughs> it has, it has never, it, I, my opinion, it'll never be solved. Yeah. We're always going to have that low point of entry. We're always going to struggle to find those first time buyers. And yes, they do turn to renting. And yep. there has been a lot of new rental buildings built in town as well. Uh, just last question here. Would you know what our vacancy rate is for rental properties right now? I haven't looked at that number recently. No. I, I have to play dumb and go. That's no, okay. That's I okay. It's one of those, it was one of those offshoot questions that popped into my head. And, and I know like, in that story, I think the Vancouver one was 1.4 or something low, like that, like which that. is extremely low. We used to be a six or a seven when we thought things were low and there wasn't much vacancy. Um, I know that uh, I follow the uh, for rent in Kamloops, mm -hmm. just kind of seeing who's looking at what. And there's a lot of people in search of three, four bedroom rentals. Only able, only able to pay sixteen, seventeen thousand, or hundred a month. I keep, I add zeros to everything today. I don't know what's going on, but only can afford sixteen, seventeen hundred a month. Um, so it is to that point that are they out there? Yes, but they don't come up very often. Okay. Well, Brad, that was a pleasure to have you on as usual. Good to see you, Jason. All right, good to see you too. That was Kellis Realtor Brad Watson. I'm Jason Hewlett, and in a few minutes, we're going to talk about debt. Listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Good morning and welcome back. I'm Jason Hewlett taking over for Jeff Andreas today and the rest of the week. Are you dealing with debt? It's something we all face at some point in our lives, and for many, it can become a simple fact of life. In the past, when someone's debt hit the breaking point, one way to lighten the load was to ask their bank to consolidate for a consolidated loan. But that's getting harder to do, and it looks like that the situation is not going to get any easier, at least for the foreseeable future. Why? And what's someone to do when options run out? Jessica Vermiro is an associate editor with LowestRates.ca, and she's here now to explain. Good morning, Jessica. Good morning, Jason. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this. I know, I know debt has been something I've dealt with, and we all do at some point. Um, what does consolidating your debt mean? How does it work? We'll start with that. Absolutely. So when you choose to consolidate your debt, you can apply for a consolidation loan through a central bank. This allows you to group together the various forms of outstanding debt that you might have into one loan that you'll then pay off at a fixed payment every month. Okay. And that was a pretty common way to deal with this. I've heard of other, you know, my friends have done that and everything because it's just all in one place, right? And it made it life simple. Yeah, absolutely. This can be very helpful if you have debt in several different places and you want to consolidate everything with one bank. So you're only making one single payment and you're only paying interest on one payment once a month. So, and this was easy to do, but I understand that banks are now in what I believe an article uh, you guys put out called bunker mode, which is making consolidating your debt difficult. Why is that? Well, we can really blame this on the economy, and this can be a little bit tricky to comprehend because despite the fact that there are several economic indicators, you're looking at low unemployment, high GDP, low cost of borrowing, these all indicate a fairly strong economy. But on the flip side, Canadians largely don't have any disposable income right now. After taxes, the average Canadian owes almost $2 for every dollar that they earn. We're incredibly over leveraged, and banks don't want to give out loans when they think that they may not get their money back. Well, which makes sense from a banking standpoint, but I mean, I don't know if you can answer this or not, but how did we get here in <laughs> the situation where it was this bad? 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, it's been incredibly difficult over the last year because Canadians are actually more leveraged than they've ever been. And I can give you a couple of numbers okay. if you like. Nearly 60% of women are currently living paycheck to paycheck and 39% of Canadians say they have no retirement savings whatsoever. And this makes banks really nervous because when they're giving out a loan, they want to ensure that they're going to get their money back somehow. And I guess uh, what I understand is that a slowing economy and global trade tensions are to blame for us being in this position? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you can take a look at a slowing economy as a real indicator of one of of some of these challenges. And a result of this is that more and more people are being denied for debt consolidation loans, which is forcing them to turn to other places. A lot of people are looking to find co-signers for their consolidated debt loans. Mm -hmm. And some people even choose to consolidate their debt into their mortgage, which actually, actually has you break your mortgage and roll your high interest credit cards car loans, other non-mortgage debt into a new mortgage at a hopefully lower interest rate. But ultimately, our end goal really should be to learn how to balance your spending with your income, regardless of what the global trade situation is. Well, it's kind of interesting to talk about that as we head into like Black Friday and Cyber Monday, where it sounds like the whole world's telling you to go out there and spend, 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 right? (laughs) Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the reality of the situation is that purchasing power is, is fairly strong right now. But the flip side of this is that people actually have more debt than they've ever had. And this makes banks really nervous. Now, how, how then like, would someone, you mentioned, like, sort of come up with a, a way to kind of manage your spending? Is there a way that you can recommend people do that, Jessica? Like, what are some options people should think about instead of just going and buying beyond their means? Mm-hmm, absolutely. So one of the main ways that experts recommend that you manage your spending is to automate your saving. Have your savings moved over to a separate account automatically every month without you even having to look at it. In addition, if you have enough money in your checking account, you can also choose to automate your paying off your debts monthly so that you know that you don't have to worry about it, your debts are paid off. It's something that can really it's something that can really build up over time and you really don't want your interest to be building up over time. So it's important to stay on top of it. Definitely. Um, what, what are other people's options? Like you say consulting, sometimes people turn into turn to bankruptcy as a way to kind of get rid of their debt. Is that, that doesn't sound like a very viable option to me though. No, no. It's, you really should try to avoid bankruptcy at all costs. It, and um, it can be a way to reset your financial situation, but if you do wind up in bankruptcy, you'll essentially have to prove to the banks and to creditors that you're a viable option once again. So it's something that you really should try to avoid, if, if at all possible. How do you kind of come back from something like bankruptcy? Like, how do you kind of get your credit rating good again and get people to trust you with credit cards, et cetera? Well, once you've filed for bankruptcy, the the real way to come back from that and to, to rebuild your reputation with the financial institutions as a whole is to demonstrate reliability over a long period of time. This might mean applying for a lower risk credit card at first and making regular payments over a long period of time to demonstrate that you've, you've been able to manage your spending. Okay, say I'm able to get a co-signer and I'm able to get a consolidated loan. What is sort of the rates going for a consolidated loan these days? 
Mm-hmm. It really depends on whether or not you're a low-risk borrower. So this can lead into some of the disadvantages that, that may go along with consolidated loans. I think there may be a misconception that you'll actually be paying less money on a consolidated loan than you would be if you were paying back two or three different creditors. And this is true. It may be true. You may actually get a lower interest rate. But if you're a high-risk borrower, interest rates could actually be fairly high on these loans, and you'll likely take the same amount of time to pay off your debt as you would regardless regardless of whether or not you consolidated your loans. It's really a way to simplify your finances rather than change them substantially. So it's really, in this sense right now, it's really not a viable option in a lot of cases, is it? No, not in a lot of cases. And a lot of people are turned down for consolidated loans for a number of reasons. For example, they often require you to put up collateral. And if you don't have collateral, banks don't know that they'll get them their money back, so you may be denied for a loan. In addition, if you have a poor credit score or if you have too much debt as it relates to your income, this might also be a reason why you could be denied for a consolidated loan. And if you're applying for one, there's a good chance that you may find yourself in one of these situations. So it's likely that over the course of the next year, as the economy continues to pick up, banks may loosen the criteria for approving consolidated loans because at the end of the day, they're a really good way to drum up new business. So the best way, if you're really looking for that solution, may just be to wait it out. All right. Well, thanks, Jessica. I appreciate that. Thank you. Have a great rest of the day. You too. That wraps things up for today. Thanks for Jeff for letting me sit in. I'm Jason Hewlett. Thank you for listening. Have an excellent day.